I'm Madaena Salinas, and this is the Women in Tech Show, a show where women in tech talk about technology and career development. Today's guest is Tammy Everts, Director of Research and Content at SOSTA. Tammy has over 20 years of experience researching the relation between human behavior, user experience, web performance, and business metrics. We talked about what the panorama was like 20 years ago and how it has been changing throughout the decades. Tammy also talked about biological and neurological reasons that can explain how we interact with machines and how this relates to web performance. In addition, we explored topics around the use of machine learning to get different insights from performance metrics, areas of opportunities with third-party scripts, and the future of mobile web. If you like the show, please rate on iTunes or send me a tweet at Tech Women Show. Tammy Everts, Director of Research and Content at SOSA, is joining us this morning. Tammy, welcome to the Women in Tech Show. Thanks for having me. So your career spans two decades studying the intersection of web performance, user experience, and business metrics. You also created an interaction design team in the 90s, I think. Yes. Habanero Consulting. That's right. So I'm curious, what got you so interested in studying the relations between these concepts? I think uh, two decades is a long time, so I have to go back (laughs) and try to remember. what it came down to for me was that um, as a as a content creator, as somebody, I used to do information architecture um, for sites for for a lot of different clients, and um, working with design teams and developers and people who are really smart, but also you know as you probably know, people who are listening to the podcast know really smart people are also very opinionated, and uh, just having these 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 meetings where we would be discussing. Well, what what should the page look like? How should it flow? What should we call the pages? Um, and, and how should we label the navigation? Just all of these questions. And everybody had different opinions. And everybody sort of hung their own opinions or projected their own opinions on this straw man user. So it was always, well, I think users will prefer if blah, 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 or I, users actually tend to blah, blah, blah. And I kind of just got tired of the, along with the other people that I work with, I, we all got tired of the, you know, I think, I think uh, approach to, to creating websites. So we started a usability test lab, which at the time was the first one that, that we knew about anyways in Vancouver. We looked to outsource it, and then we realized that we needed to bring it in-house. And it was just to answer those questions and and, and have a bit of data and watch real users as opposed to just projecting our own thoughts and feelings onto, onto imaginary users. Yeah. Were there any surprises back yes. then? Always. Okay. Yeah. Nobody was right. <laughs> no, we were, I mean, we were right sometimes. We were wrong many times. There was nothing that was ever created by a group of people, no matter how talented they are and how experienced they are, ever got a 100% pass on the usability test. Definitely not on the first um, couple of iterations. So um, you, that gave me just a, a kind of profound mistrust of my own opinions. So, um, and, okay. and it, it, it definitely gave me a lot of respect for actually going to users and finding out what users actually do. Yeah. And 20 years ago, 
what was the state of web performance? What sort of things were people able to do? Were they doing anything at all? <laughs> um, I think that at that time, the average web page maybe had one or two pictures on it. Um, and uh, we had just gotten away from gray backgrounds a couple of years before that. Um, okay. So <laughs> They we, were very performant. <laughs> um, well, no, because we had terrible motives. I mean, I used to use the internet and I was just, you know, I had like hobbies that I developed while I was waiting for my modem to restart because it used to crash all the time um, under, 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 under so-called load if, uh, you know, if maybe a page had three or four images. <laughs> so... It was, uh, so it was, it was, it's kind of like, you know, we, yeah, we had really lean pages, definitely, you know, I think pretty much all hosted on one server because nobody had third parties back then. Um, and, uh, but then we, you know, we had another set of problems, which was, you know, on the network. So that's true. Yeah. Technology development problems. Exactly, and yeah. you know, you then you then you then you make better pages, but then, uh, or sorry, you make you make you improve the network, but then you know, we, we they were like, oh, the network's better, so let's put more stuff on the pages. And I've been just sort of watching this happen over twenty years, and uh, realizing it's it's never going to stop. We're always going to find more stuff and interesting stuff to throw on pages and, and valuable stuff. And so it's not arbitrary, and it, it certainly, um, I mean, I, just because I laugh about it doesn't mean that I think that um, all of the things that are being added to pages, rich content and custom fonts and third parties are, are silly or trivial. I, I know that they all actually add a lot to the experience and are really valuable for site owners. And we'll get to talk a little bit about that later on. Oh, cool. So I went to Velocity this last September and I was at one of the trainings from Patrick Minan and Team Cadillac. And before they were starting to talk about web performance, they mentioned two concepts, latency and bandwidth. Mm -hmm. One of the things that they highlighted a lot was that there's a misconception about bandwidth, that doubling the bandwidth doesn't necessarily improve your performance by the same amount. Yes. What, why do you think we have this misconception about bandwidth? Um, I would say it's because um, the vendors who are responsible for um, making people happy about their internet connections are probably quietly letting us believe that um, the, the, the double the bandwidth equals double the speed. I mean, it's, it's, it's just how our, our brains do math. If you don't understand how network works and you see that, you know, your 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 bandwidth has is gone from five megabits per second to, to 10, you're gonna think, oh great, well that must mean I'm twice as fast. I mean it, it feels intuitive, right? And if, funnily enough, I mean I have this argument with my husband at home and he still doesn't quite believe me. So <laughs> I can point him to things that, that people have written and then he sort of believes it. But then he's like, well, what does this number even mean? Why do they tell us this number? And um, yeah, so 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 that's that's my answer right there. I wouldn't say anybody's like willfully deceiving anyone. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to say that. I think it's more just like a quietly letting people believe it. Yeah, like people just assume it'll improve it, like you said, because it's how we think. Exactly. And yeah. um, there have been a few... Um, uh, little 
I would I hesitate to call them studies. They're not as grand as a study, but a few a few different people over the years have done little bits of research just to demonstrate. Like we'll know actually if you like using synthetic tests. And I actually did one myself a couple of years ago based on the the the, the research that previous people had done, um, demonstrating that if, if you you're just using synthetic tests like web page tests, you can um, simulate different latencies and different bandwidths, and then actually see what the impact is on 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 performance. And you see that even if if um, bandwidth sharply increases, you know uh, the 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 improvement to load time is you know it's like comparing a, a black diamond ski hill to the bunny hill. Um, mm-hmm. So because which is a better analogy than what I'm doing right now, which is to draw lines in the air with my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, the role of latency is well. First of all, it means the time it takes for resources to to travel through the internet pipe until you get them in your browser. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they also mentioned was uh, using a CDN, a content delivery network, because its main goal is to address the latency problem by serving resources from mm-hmm. areas where the user is closer to. Yes. However, have you seen some cases when having a CDN is not enough? Um, well, I mean, I, I think that the, the is a CDN enough. I mean, I don't think there's a CDN provider who would say that having a CDN is a is a standalone solution. It's part of a bigger solution, which is why so many of the CDN vendors also package their CDNs with um, different types of front end optimizations that, that are that are. That are, that are Packed in there as well, so but definitely reducing latency is a is a is a necessary first step. Where CDN doesn't help you as much is if um, you if if your users aren't geographically dispersed. So if all of your users um, or most of your users are in one geographic location and you already are hosting near that location, then a CDN is not going to help you that much. Um, and also, you know, I, I, I don't know what the state of, um, I, I feel like I should know this better right now, but what the state of CDNs is with regard to improving mobile performance. I think there's um, a, a bit of variability there. So some CDNs are better with mobile than others. Um, but I, I wouldn't want to speak to that any deeper than that right now without doing a little bit more research. But that's mm-hmm. definitely something that if I were a site owner, I would want to verify that with whatever CDN if I was shopping around. Yeah. Or also what you said, no, actually where your users are. If your users are just, I don't know, in Texas, why you have a CDN, you know, in Asia? And exactly. Like yeah, okay. So in your book, Time is Money, which is very good, by the way. Oh, thank a, you. Yeah, I really liked it. Thanks. One of the things that you mentioned is visitors in some countries are more patients, mm-hmm. patient than in other places. So... I was wondering what you think about this. If you know the majority of users are from a country where you know that they tend to be more patient, does this justify not being aggressive enough about performance? Um, so the short answer is no. I don't think it justifies it. So just as a, as a for instance, um, mm-hmm. the, the research that I cited in my book was uh, where at SOSTA we compared um, user expectations and user behavior in Australia with uh, North America or the United States specifically. And what we found uh, was that uh, whenever we looked at bounce rate, that if as, as, as the pages got slower on the same site, the uh, bounce rate dropped 
for both countries, but it dropped much less sharply for visitors in Australia. And uh, the conclusion we drew from that is because um, internet service is not great in Australia. People are just used to it. So it's all just relative. Um, so people are just, you know, are, are not likely to abandon your site because they know that if they go to any other site, it's, it's going to be about the same. So they've sort of adjusted their expectations. Yeah. And it's um, also, it can also be not even about countries, for example, millennials are more mm -hmm. impatient than older generations because they grew up when the internet was just starting out. And like you said, you develop hobbies mm -hmm. out of the slowness. <laughs> so it was a positive thing for you. Yes. Although I have to say that's all that's gone by the wayside. And now I am like that super impatient person who just, I just want the page to load. That's because as you get older, your memory degrades. So your, your short-term memory gets poorer. So, uh, so, you know, if I, if I have to wait 10 seconds for a page to load and then the new page um, appears. Sometimes I've actually sort of forgotten I have to remind myself, what am I on this page for? It's kind of like that feeling, like the, the doorway effect. You walk through, uh, you know, a series of rooms, and by the time you get to your destination, you've forgotten what you got. You came to that room for. That's a real thing, and I think it holds with the with the internet as well. Um, but the, the the I think the going back to your question about does it does um, this variance in user expectations justify not really worrying about it very much. If you know, like, well, okay, the people who are coming to my site who are a certain age group or coming from a certain location are going to be more patient. I don't have to worry about it. The argument against having falling into that thinking um, is that, well, no, because user behavior still does change. I mean, you definitely don't want your bounce rate to drop or your conversion rate to drop, um, even if it's just by... Uh, a fraction of a percent that, you know, if you have a, a lot of traffic, that the, that fraction really adds up. It's quite significant. So um, I wouldn't want people to to think that they shouldn't need to worry about all those people who are getting 10 second loads when, you know, when, uh, when they should be. And then the other reason is because you don't know what your competitors are doing. So you need to have a kind of situational awareness of where your users are coming from, what their expectations are, but also where you sit performance-wise in relation to your competitors. Because if somebody else who is in direct competition with you has decided, well, I actually am going to raise the bar on performance and you know aim for you know two-second, three-second load times for all my pages, then then that's kind of where what you have to be aiming at. Yeah. And also another thing that I that I read that shows the importance of it is um, when Google added a slow label on their search results. Mm -hmm. So people were saying this gives us an idea that they take performance as part of their search ranking, you know, variables that they look at. Mm -hmm. But I'm not really sure about that. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's always safe to say that Google takes performance very seriously. So the mystery is, you know, to what degree they use it as a as a as a signal, like as a ranking factor. But you know, their their mantra is, you know, performance. You know, performance matters, um, and uh, and you know, uh, their. I always forget people's titles, but Ertz Holsel, he said a few years ago that, you know, ideally they're aiming for, you know, 100 milliseconds, like the illusion of, of, of instantaneous response whenever people go from page to page. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you also mentioned in your book was that when mobile sites perform badly, pe people have been found to be screaming at their phone, throwing it, <laughs> saying bad words at it. And I was very surprised by this. <laughs> So what is the biological 
or neurological reason behind this impatience. It almost oh, now, like- okay, now you're getting into my like absolutely favorite topic. Um, so it's really true. That is a great study. I love that one. Um, it's by Tea Leaf, um, who does really, really interesting piece of research. And this, I found that a few years ago when I just wondered randomly, I wonder if there's ever been a study on like how, what people do when they're angry, if, if, if they're, if they're, phones, you know, are, are being slow. And this was kind of in the early-ish days of mobile, which is hard to believe. That was just like five or six years ago, like before mobile first was everywhere. But um, so I, lo- I just like typed in a bunch of random keywords in Google. Thanks, Google. And uh, this like popped up. And so it was, oh, great. So um, yeah, they just found something like 4% of users had, had thrown their phones. And in total, probably about a third or something like that. I haven't cited that study in a while, so the numbers are fuzzy for me, but um, a significant number of, of mobile users had sworn at, screamed at, or thrown their phones. And I thought that was really interesting. And, fr- and frankly, actually, I thought the numbers were kind of low because I certainly um, had some words with my phone myself. Um, so the neurological basis for it is really interesting. And I, and I and I keep learning new things and, and hearing new theories about this. So um, I'll try not to go on and on too long. Interrupt me if, yeah. <laughs> if, no, if I am. Go ahead. Um, but uh, basically, the, the the general idea is that most most people at this point are kind of familiar with the idea of flow. That that human beings are happier when we um, do things that feel relatively seamless or feel like ideally totally seamless. So these like, you know, beautiful sequential micro actions that we take. So for thousands and thousands of years, as, as, as we evolved, you know, we're, we're, we're hunting in groups or gathering and foraging or um, milking a cow, you know, you just all of these things, baking bread. I mean, you can basically think of anything up until about, you know, the, the beginning of the industrial age where what we did was uh, were, were, were primarily flow activities. And so this is what our brains have evolved to do. Um, and then you get this, the start of the industrial age, and then, of course, more recently, the, the, the computer age in the 1960s and 70s. And suddenly, we're dealing with machines and then computers. And as anybody who works with machines and computers knows, they they operate on a different timeline than us. They operate when fits and starts. You know, there 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 are legs, and you know, as you know, humans, we're very fairly adaptable. We can we can cope with these legs, but there have been a lot of different um, interruption studies or studies of just looking at people like studying um, with EEGs whenever they perform tasks that are interrupted, whether it's on a computer or whether it's just a, a workplace interruption, like you're working at your computer and somebody comes along and just sort of physically interrupts you and says, hey, you want to, I need your opinion about something. And it shows that when these things happen um, on an EEG level, our, 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 our brainwaves spike in areas of, uh, of frustration. Um, and uh, in terms of getting back on task, it can take, depending on the length of the interruption and the nature of the interruption, up to 20 minutes to get back on task. So when you think about using computers where there are all these micro interruptions and, and, and small lags throughout the day, it's just not what we are designed to do from a neurological perspective. 
Um, uh, a couple of years ago, um, I did some research using a, a, a really, a really great uh, team of neuroscientists at a group called Seren, and um, they, we sort of at the time we were what were we researching? Oh, we were looking at just image rendering with different image rendering formats did and how how we respond to them at a, at a neurological level because there are a lot of opinions about whether to use progressive JPEGs or baseline JPEGs and a lot of different companies from. Uh, Google to uh, smaller FEO companies are trying to figure out solutions that, well, how can we improve images so that people are happier? We improve the user experience. So we were, we did an image study where we, um, where we, where we got people in a lab and we, and we studied this. And then we had a neuroscientist who wasn't part of the study. It was kind of like our, 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 our peer, um, actually review our research and provide additional commentary and additional speculation. And it was really eye opening because he pointed out that, you know, our brains are constantly using glucose, producing and using glucose. Wait a second. The brains put, uh, Maybe that we're not producing them. Anyways, <laughs> using it. I, I can't remember where the glucose comes from, but we're always using it. And um, when, you know, the, the, we most of us are probably familiar with the word hangry to, de to describe when you're hungry and you get angry. It's basically as your brain is, is glucose levels are dropping and your brain is sending a message to your body like this is a critical situation. I'm getting really grouchy about it because this is actually dangerous. If glucose levels continue to drop, this is super unhealthy for us. Um, so the, the, this neuro, uh, neuroscientist, um, speculated that part of why we don't like these, these delays in user experience is because each time we, um, have to pause and then restart an activity, it's, uh, it uses glucose in these extra spurts to kind of restart whatever neurological processes is, is, is going on for us in terms of completing a task. So it's all these little surges in glucose that are almost like you can picture them as being like, like flashing red, you know, alert lights that are just t uh, signaling to you that I'm not happy. This is really bad. If I keep like, um, you know, spurting out glucose at this rate, this isn't, this is not good for us. Yeah. So, um, so, so that's kind of the physiological, neurological, um, rationale that I, that I find really interesting. Yeah. Like you said, it's even related to chemicals that we have. It's not about, oh, you're so picky. You're very impatient. Like there's an actual reason. Exactly. Like, yeah. And and it's because, uh, yeah, I mean, we do here, you know, I've certainly encountered my share of, you know, but maybe it's good for us to wait and it teaches us patience and things like that. I think waiting, if you have a long period of time, like, you know, this is a waiting period for me. I'm going to use this waiting time productively and you feel like you have some power over it. The wait period can turn into a flow state, but it's just the micro weights that are, that are, that are, you know, the micro delays that are, that are more upsetting. Yeah. And with what, what you said earlier about the task that flow, it can also be related that w we were kind of in control of those, right? Versus exactly. Here, it's with a machine. Like, I mean, I, I, it, when I used to live in a bigger city and I had to um, take transit to work, um, my transit route was was frequently, you know, there were little delays and things like that. Yeah. And it, because it was crowded, sometimes I couldn't get on the, the train that I wanted to get on and all these things. And... I could make the choice between having 
um, a transit experience that was about 30 minutes long because I didn't live that far from, from downtown where I worked, or I could walk and it took 45 minutes. And I frequently chose to walk unless the weather was dreadful because I'd rather be walking steadily for 45 minutes than feeling powerless and waiting and stopping and yeah. starting on transit. So, I mean, I kind of use that as an analogy for this. That's very interesting. Yeah. So, like I mentioned earlier, you're currently at SOSTA which mm -hmm. is a, a leading provider of performance monitoring and analytic solutions. Yes. So given the work that you've done at SOSA, w when should an engineer or a business start thinking about performance? Is this at the beginning, when they already have users, when they have competitors? Is there something that strikes out? I mean, I think... Everyone should start thinking about performance from the beginning. So when you're putting together a team, you know, a, a, ideally like a cross-disciplinary team throughout your company, or maybe it's just a few people if you're the smaller company, you know, developers, designers, content people, marketing people, um, people kind of higher up the food chain in the business, everybody should be thinking about performance first, because it's a lot easier to design and build with performance in time than it is to just build it and then try to fix things later. Um, and it also means that you're more likely as, you know, sites are organic things, you know, so, so pretty much every site that, um, that most of us encounter on a daily basis is very dynamic. It changes moment by moment sometimes, um, definitely, you know, at least throughout the day. And uh, so you, you, you need to be thinking performance first. And then, you know, as soon as you have users, I mean, there are things you can learn from gathering real user data that you will never, ever learn from uh, using synthetic tests. Synthetic tests are really great. They're great for um, baselining performance, comparing performance of a current release with previous releases, doing competitive benchmarking. I mean, there's a lot of good reasons why you should you should still use synthetic tools. Um, but RUM, uh, real user monitoring, you know, is going to teach you things about how your site performs out in the wild, in the real world, when real users are using it. It's going to expose um, performance issues like micro outages or um, or just micro issues that might happen when you, um, like I said, if you if your site's very dynamic, when content changes, um, you're going to be able to with with RUM, you're going to be able to correlate um, user experience with uh, business metrics. So you can actually look at your IT metrics like load time or start render, and then correlate that with bounce rate and, and time on site and and all those other user experience metrics and then further correlate that to things like um, conversion, like how many people actually completed transactions. And you really want to get a 360 degree view of performance. And that comes, you know, again, from thinking about performance from the, the before you've even launched the project all the way through to continuing to monitor it after you've, you've released it into the world. Yeah. Is bounce rate when they didn't click anything? They just launched the page and they left? Yeah. Um, okay. I, yeah, it, it, when they leave pretty much immediately. So before they've been in the site for very long. Okay. So definitely you would recommend getting started with synthetic monitoring if you have zero users to baseline everything. 
mm-hmm. and incorporate users. Exactly. And they're great. I mean, they're free synthetic monitoring tools. Yeah. Um, if your your listeners aren't familiar with WebPageTest, it's an online tool, webpagetest.org. And it's a great, great tool. It's supported by Google and um, it was de- developed by Pat Meenan, who's awesome. And um, and it, it, it lets you um, do synth- run synthetic tests on any page of your site or your competitor's site. And uh, you can, you know, artificially throttle bandwidth. You can check it out on different devices, different browser types, and really get a really robust look at how your page would perform and even run like generate film strip views of the page rendering yeah. so you can break it down like by what uh, in 100 millisecond increments you can look at the it generates videos of your page loading and you can slow down the videos it's just a really awesome tool yeah one of the things that i like is that you can have side by side your competitor and yourself and then make a the, video about it the side by side videos are amazing and it's so funny because you can write you know 5,000 words about why performance matters and all this sort of thing. Or you can just show a, a, a company their their site compared with like three of their competitors on like a four video grid and they see their site loading more slowly. And that's the thing that really gets people. So the video yeah. element is amazing. Yeah. So when a, when a business comes to so stuff or input or performance or advice, are there some of the things that you look at first? Do you- um, so I so I do on the research side. So nobody ever comes to me like for specific advice on how to make their pages faster. Um, so that's more um, we have. So we have you know solutions that we sell. Like there's a the, our whole DPM platform, and then we also have um, performance uh, experts who will work on site with customers and and do all of that do all of that consulting. Okay. And you've been focusing a lot more on the research side of things. Yeah, I'm basically yeah. kind of like we have um we have a impulse which is our rum tool and um, and we also have a really great data analytics engine and uh, an amazing data science team and so I work with them. I'm kind of like the ultimate beta tester for impulse just putting it through its paces as we and uh, putting our, our, our analytics engine through its paces as we develop new features and just sort of see well what can we what can we learn from this using our own data mm-hmm. And through your career in research, what has been one of the most shocking revelations that you found related to performance, user experience, and business metrics? Well, um, I think it's a couple of things. One is that I I think one of the earliest things that I learned was that that even changing performance, making pages faster or slower by 100 millisecond increments actually made a difference over, if you you looked at an update, it made a significant difference. That was really eye-opening to me. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have guessed that, and the other piece was, and it, 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 this shouldn't have surprised me, but it did, was um, just how far apart sometimes um, it, it, the, there's a big gap between uh, the data that we get from users when we give them surveys and ask them, well, what are your load time expectations, and then actual user beha- actually how they behave. And so it's why I like to look at actual real user data and monitor how people behave rather than what they say they will do, because over the years, you know, there have been so many surveys done of, of users, and they 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 kind of said like, okay, well, yeah, I'd, I'd wait nine seconds for a page to load, or eight seconds, or seven seconds, or five seconds. 
recently it's getting down into, you know, kind of more real, you know, sort of realist, what I would consider to be more realistic numbers, like kind of three or four seconds. Um, but there's just the fact that there is that variability again, it kind of gives me a little bit of distrust over what people, people say they, they want versus what they, how they actually behave and how they actually react. But then also just the, just the, um, the fact that users aren't really as predictable. We as users, I mean, I love myself in here as well, as predictable as we think we are. So my expectations and my my willingness to wait for something really varies on uh, according to a number of different variables. So um, to, for me to say, well, I expect pages to load in three seconds, that's that might be what I say, but really it might be more like I want it to load in two seconds if I'm in a hurry and I'm shopping for this thing that I know sh- I should be able to find easily and I just want to get it done versus um, maybe in the evening I'm more patient or I'm using a different device. I'm on my iPad and my expectations change. So just the fact that our our, our behaviors are highly contextual and we, um, we it's really hard to predict even what, what we will do ourselves moment by moment throughout the day, depending on where we are, what we're, what, what our task is, et cetera. Yeah. Or even later on correlating it with how we're feeling, like somehow seeing data on Facebook and then knowing how we feel and then, oh, I don't know. Exactly. No, no, I, I, I know what you mean. You know, so I, I, I guess I, I sort of have a profound um, distrust in myself even, <laughs> even more so. But um, so I, I, there's this whole other area of reading that I do um, where I read a lot about cognitive biases, um, just trying to, to understand my own and anticipate others um, that, yeah, th- this, this sort of highlights that for me. Yeah. So in Velocity, you also presented with Patrick Meenan. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of your recent research projects about deep learning and machine learning to predict conversion rates and mm-hmm. bounce rates. Yes. So, so I was curious, in this research, what was different about using machine learning to find relations with conversion rate and bounce rate? Because had you worked, had you applied machine learning before? To no. Okay. Um, we will be though at SOSTA. This is something that we're working on, and this uh, uh, this feature development at SOSTA has sort of happened in parallel with this. So, the the, the project was we took um, billions of beacons worth of data, user data, and uh, anonymized, aggregated, and shared it with Google, and it poured it into their AI and. Um, what made it different from work that we've done in the past was in the past, we're looking at real-time behavior and correlating with different different um, outcomes. So you're seeing, okay, if, if uh, page performance changes or, you know, kind of medium page load uh, throughout a session is X, then it affects conversion in this way. So it's, there's a, there's a, there is a predictive element there for sure. Um, I guess what the machine learning did was just uh, do this on a on a, a much larger scale with with massive amounts of data. To and what we were trying to do was kind of verify. Oh, well, one of the many things we were trying to do was just verify, like, well, how, what 
how high is our degree of predictability using a lot of using a lot of data? What 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 are the page attributes that matter most? And in our case, we found that it was um, DOM ready um, was was one of the dominant page attributes and start render. Um, so so these are these are good. The, these were the most effective metrics in terms of giving us a high degree of predictability. And we define a high degree of predictability as um, if we looked at um, those metrics, they had a, a, just over ninety percent um, uh, likelihood of, of or ninety percent ability to let us know what you know what what users were going to do next. So it was less about looking at outcomes um, like conversion and, and bounce and giving us like solid numbers. Like uh, if you make the pages slower or faster by um, X amount, then it has Y impact on conversion as actually just looking at the the metrics themselves. Does that make sense? Yes. Just verifying that we're even looking at the right metrics yeah. and that those metrics actually are are the, the metrics that give us that predictability. So more automated with way more amount of data, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk about the future before we finish. Okay. So as we mentioned earlier, there's a trend of Paging, pages getting bigger, and we mentioned that is because technology is getting better. But do you think we really need all those fancy animations and all that <laughs> JavaScript? Like, what are um, your thoughts on this? <laughs> um, the fancy animations, no, probably we don't need a lot of those. I mean, because um, that that's a yeah. lot of what happens, right? People go above and beyond with animations and. I don't yeah, know. I think I think people are. It's it's. I, I think third parties are still. That's the big growth area. Um, like we're seeing just a massive increase in page complexity and the number of hosts. And with that, you know, inevitably is going to come not just slowdowns, but also issues where it's just causing pages to it, like it block like. The third parties are, are blocking scripts completely. Yeah. Um, why are third parties so uh, not so bad, but like why are they, you know, an an important factor blocking performance getting better? Um, well, they're I mean they're kind of uh, I don't want to say necessarily evil because they're not evil. Um, some people think they are, but. Um, Site owners realize they need them. You know, we, we live in a t very data-driven times, and um, people who run sites, especially really big sites that with, that have a lot of competition, like in retail or media, they know um, that they need to gather as much intelligence about their users as possible, and they're trying to do that with a lot of you know, using a, as many different tools as, as they can. Um, so that's what they're trying to do, and I applaud that. Um, it's more just the, the the how how they go about it, and then how the tool vendors themselves go about making sure that their tools are performant and uh, not blocking the page, and you know not committing a lot of a lot of performance faux pas. So that's kind of the issue there. I mean, when you when we think about third parties. Mostly, it's not stuff that you see on the page. It's stuff behind the scenes, like analytics widgets and and things like that. Um, exactly, A/B tests, um, just 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 various data gathering tools that are definitely not going to go away. I mean, so I, I would say that if we're going to focus on anything, it's on just making those tools better 
implementing them intelligently and then not letting, uh, so it's just, uh, sort of, um, just to back up for a second, I mean, tag managers, for example, tag managers came about partially as a way of managing this problem of performance. So you can control your tags very easily. Then the, then the tag managers unwittingly became a new problem for some sites because, and it wasn't a problem with the tag manager itself, it was how, how they're being used, is that um, if you're somebody who is running a site and you just you know uh, started using a tag manager, then you, you, know, you see this dashboard that has all the different tags that are in front of you. And it's like being like a kid in a candy store, you know, it's, and all you have to do is toggle little buttons or flip switches and suddenly you've got that, this, really neat, interesting sounding um, third party active on your page. And you're not necessarily realizing like, okay, I just flipped 20 switches and it took me less than a minute to do that. And you just inserted 30 lines of code onto your page, onto all your pages with not, and you're not necessarily chasing down any kind of visibility into how those, those scripts perform. And then maybe you're not thinking to go back and turn some of them off or manage even what, or, or even monitor what, you know, what benefit they're, they're, they're giving to your page. So that's a case where the solution sort of put, introduced a new problem. And I, and I'm not saying that to say that people shouldn't use tag managers. They absolutely should. They should, should use them intelligently like any other tool. Or evaluate what impact they're doing. Yeah, exactly. Like before you implement a, a script on your site, maybe do an A-B test of that script and make sure that like, you might have to run that yourself um, and and make sure that the, the script is adding the value that you think it's going to have and that the value it adds mitigates any performance impact that it has. Mm -hmm. So with all the, this trends of pages getting more um, elaborate, we're also seeing some things emerge like Google Accelerated mobile pages or Facebook instant articles. Mm -hmm. Do you think, uh, just projecting, do you think we're moving to a more limited model again, tailored depending on the type of content you serve? Because these platforms limit the things that you can do for um, articles. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think that um, Facebook or Google AMP are going to replace the kind of the, the traditional web. I don't think that. Um, I think that, you know, hopefully, or maybe I'm just, it's more what I hope. I hope that the fact that these exist kind of scare people, they create awareness and they scare site owners into realizing that they need to address performance on their pages. Yeah. That's kind of more the ripple effect that I'm seeing. And I hope that that continues because, um, you know, I, they're, 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 it's, and it's one way of doing it. So whether or not, Google AMP will be around in five or 10 years, I couldn't really say. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't think that it's going to be the dominant form of mm -hmm. the web. It might just be setting a quality bar, like you said, race awareness again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So last question, if, if you could teach a concept to everybody working in the web about performance and the relation to human factors or business metrics, what would it be? A concept. So Sorry, can you define what you mean by... Like, something that you think it's very important, like if you don't have a fast page, you might sell less things. So, oh, okay. Like, or something fundamental, like like we said, uh, humans are used to flow, tasks that mm -hmm. flow, like everybody should just know this so that they don't have pop-ups all the time on their website mm -hmm. or interrupting them. Is there something that 
you wish everybody knew about the field you've worked on? Yeah, um, I think, okay, so I wish that people knew um, that in an ideal world, everything we do would flow seamlessly um, and that what all of us deep down crave and respond best to are delays of no more than 100 milliseconds. That might be unrealistic or it might feel unrealistic right now in terms of your, what, your, what your load time goals are. But deep down, what we all desire is no more than 100 millisecond delays. And so knowing that that's actually what our craving is, what's going to, what is going to satisfy us on this very deep neurological level, we should all be trying to get as close to that as possible. Well, Tammy, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much. It was really great talking to you, too.